guys. Welcome to the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and we've got a story and some feedback to talk about this episode. The story is The Shogun's Gift from Usagi Ojimbo Volume 1, Issue 12, and the main characters include Mayamoto Usagi, our protagonist, Lord Noriyuki, Tomo, a Miramasa Blade, a Nico Ninja Clan ninja, who is our antagonist, and the woodcutters, which play a part both directly and indirectly to the story. Now, the story opens at Gaishu Castle, the uh, the residence of Lord Noriyuki. He is discussing with Tomo the fact that the Gaishu Clan has a Muramasa blade that they're going to present to the Shogun. Uh, as a, as a, a show of, of uh, fealty, probably. And as they're talking, Tomo is alerted to something, she's not really sure what, but feels that perhaps there's uh, someone about that shouldn't be, and she grabs up a spear and prods through the ceiling, thinking that that is initially where she got this impression from, or heard a sound from, or whatever. But when she withdraws the spear blade, she finds that it's clean, so she did not strike anything in her lashing out like that. Uh, Lord Noriyuki is surprised and asks her what's going on, and she bows humbly and asks for his forgiveness and indicates that she thought there was an intruder, but she was wrong. And uh, Lord Noriyuki tells her, well, that's okay. He said, besides, nobody could get in here. I've doubled the guard, and this is deep in the fortress, and my personal room, nobody could get in here. They move on, go about their evening, go to sleep, and leave the Muramasa blade there. After they leave, the Neko Ninja, who Tomo did indeed hear, but was not able to catch because as she thrust the spear where she thought she heard the noise, it penetrated his leg, but he quickly took off his mask and he grabbed the blade so that as she withdrew the blade, it would wipe off the blood and there would not be a trace of the fact that, that she had injured something. So he grabs the blade and on his way out kills a guard. Immediately uh, upon exiting the, the fortress here we see that the ninja is making his escape but the alert is given so he's he doesn't have very much uh, lead time at all. Being injured like that though it's going to be that much more difficult for him to get away. He's going to be slowed considerably. We see that uh, Usagi is in the area, uh, whether accidentally or on purpose, we don't know. And Tomo, as she's riding around alerting everyone to be on the lookout for someone possessing the Miramasa blade, runs into Usagi, quickly tells him the tale, and then rushes off to alert more forces, apologizing that she doesn't have more time and, and their meeting couldn't be under friendlier circumstances. So Usagi continuing his travels, again, we don't necessarily know in which which direction. Uh, I take it, actually, probably away from the castle. So he wasn't um, going towards the castle, but was in the area going somewhere else, and she passed him on the way, probably, to that somewhere else to tell the forces there to be on the lookout for the blade. He um, Usagi realizes that there in the near distance is a fire, and it's a chance for him as a traveler to perhaps warm himself uh, with the hospitality of the other traveler. So he moves towards the fire and 
comes across a woodcutter who doesn't really seem to be bo- want to be bothered, but can't really in in uh, this time period in uh, honor and and these other issues turn down a an offer of succor to a uh, to a samurai. Um, the samurai being higher on the scale than a lowly woodcutter. So um, Usagi attempts to uh, thank him, repaying him with some fish, but he says, well, now that I think about it, I've had this fish for three days, and it's probably, as Usagi says, a bit off, and he's holding his nose. So why he's carrying around a, a rotten fish carcass in his uh, robe is beyond me. I thought that was kind of odd. I mean, probably an attempt at humor by Mr. Sakai, but... I just thought it was odd. Uh, we see that uh, Usagi notices that the woodcutter here is injured. And the woodcutter says, yeah, it's just a, an axe accident. I, I hurt myself with my axe. And Usagi gets a closer look at it and says, well, it looks like a spear wound. And the woodcutter gets all defensive about it. Usagi seemingly brushes it off, asks the woodcutter, well, you know, where, where are you headed? as one traveler to another. And the woodcutter says, well, I'm heading towards Gaishu Castle to sell my wood. And Usagi says, well, you know, perhaps you'd like a a companion. And again, the woodcutter's all defensive. No, no, he he travels best alone. Besides, you know, I would probably slow you down because I I have this injury. So they both feign sleeping. The uh, woodcutter, who, I don't think I mentioned it, but the woodcutter is the uh, ninja, the Nico Ninja in disguise. The woodcutter uh, rises when he feels that Usagi is asleep and heads off in the opposite direction from Gaishu Castle. Usagi, in turn, wakes up and notices that he, the woodcutter, is leaving in the opposite direction from where he said he was going. So Usagi gathers up his gear and proceeds to follow the woodcutter. Of course, the warning that Tomo uh, gave him in his mind. So, now this woodcutter has kind of caught his suspicion. The woodcutter makes it to a town that is on the border of Gaishu territory, a river being that border. And he's making his way through town to get to the crossing. He realizes, you know, gee, the town is really crowded. And then he sees why, because at the crossing, they are stopping and searching everyone. And so it's kind of backed things up, and then those people that didn't pass muster and were not allowed to cross are mulling around. So Woodcutter realizes, hmm, well, you know, he's not going to be able to make it through the border crossing because he's carrying the sword, and that is precisely what they're looking for, so... He'll need to figure out something else to do. Um, he thinks about it and figures, well, I'll just wait here for a little while, and then tonight I'll move on down river and cross the river itself in darkness. Once I get on the other side, I'll be cool because it's not Gaishu territory over there. So he decides he's going to wait uh, the evening out at a local inn, and he uh, takes off his pack of wood, the wood bundle that he has, and he lays it in with all the other bundles there at the back of the inn. And as he's going around to go in the front there for some service, Usagi wanders across him. And, you know, is all friendly as this is a, a fellow traveler that they shared time and space with the previous night. So Usagi is uh, again, feigning friendship with uh, with the woodcutter. 
and uh, says, well, you know, it's funny meeting you here. Last night you said you were headed towards Geishu Castle, and this is the opposite way. Woodcutter says, well, I got to thinking about it, and I realized that the people on the other side of the river actually give a better price for wood than they do at Geishu Castle, so I changed my mind, decided I'd head over there to get more money. And in turn, the woodcutter asks Usagi, and why exactly are you here? And Usagi says, well, I'm a wanderer. I woke up facing this direction, and it's just the direction that I took off going. The woodcutter doesn't believe it and actually calls him out and says, ridiculous, no one lives their life like that. Well, in a way, we know that Usagi kind of does because he just wanders. Not in this particular case, but normally. Um, as Usagi and the woodcutter are sharing a table here, talking, having a meal, the woodcutter's small w that we have seen throughout several stories come up and ask if they can share the table. Um, the border crossing is backed up. It's going to take us a while before we can get through, and we need a place just to rest for a little while. The Nico Ninja woodcutter in disguise uh, indicates no, go on about your business. You know, he doesn't want any more attention. Usagi, on the other hand, is like, sure, come on, come on, have a seat. Um, I'm not sure why. Perhaps because the woodcutter had said no. Usagi said yes. Uh, Usagi recognizes him and asks him, you know, hmm, have I seen you around? You, you seem familiar. And, of course, we know that they're familiar because these are the woodcutters that uh, turn up in just about every story that Mr. Sakai uses woodcutters in. And this is another kind of ongoing gag, as it was, is that it's the same characters always. So they're talking, and uh, Usagi asks them, So, I hear that, uh, wh where are you going? First, he asks them, and they, they tell him that they're going towards uh, Noriyuki's castle because they give the best price on firewood. And Usagi says, well, that's curious. This woodcutter here said that they uh, give better prices across the river. And the woodcutter couple, it's a husband and wife, they scoff. No, no, no. Those across the river are, are skin flints compared to the Gaishus, the Noriyuki castle. So their compounding thing upon thing is more evidence that this woodcutter isn't really a woodcutter because he doesn't know his trade. Um, and as a, a, a furtherance of the you know jovial nature of the situation, the husband of the woodcutting couple asks the woodcutter disguised ninja uh, if they would like to, if he would like to discuss new wood chopping techniques, which I can't imagine anything more exciting, really, tongue in cheek. Um, and he says, no, 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 because he knows that he can't make that discussion. I, I need to get on my way. So he leaves the table. Well, later on that night, he goes, you know, who knows where. Later on that night, he comes back to the rear of the inn to collect his wood bundles, puts them on, heads down river, crosses the river, and, you know, he's relieved. He's across the river. He's away from enemy territory. He's away from that meddling samurai things are good and he takes off and as he comes up on this tree lo and behold sitting there with his back against the tree is Usagi seemingly waiting for him and as Usagi continues to try to feign his way through this you know jovial relationship that they have the ninja finally calls it and says look you know let's stop the games um we know who we are and finally Usagi admits yes we we do indeed know what's going on here 
So the ninja introduces himself as Shingen and pulls out a um, a pair of comma that appear to be spring-loaded, looks like. I guess they were hidden as bundles in his wood bundle, and he unsheathes them, unleashes them, and the blades click out, spring-loaded. So now he is fighting with a pair of comma. Usagi, on the other hand, draws his katana and continues to hold the scabbard in the other hand. Uh, I didn't look this up, I'm sure, uh, in this time in, in Japanese history. It has another name for it, a more appropriate name. I know it as a scabbard, the thing that holds the sword. And they're uh, they're discussing, you know, that... You know, he introduces himself as a ninja. Usagi says, "Yes, I've run across your, I've run across, excuse me, your clan before." He said, "The uh, Shingen says, yes, I was uh, dispatched to steal the blade to try to embarrass, uh, force, uh, cause the Gaishus to lose face, and I have done so at the bidding of Lord Hikiji." And is it here? No, he asks him later on, though. We'll get to that. Uh, they uh, start fighting. Several several excellent panels of the fighting between the two. They're also discussing further deepening um, background of the story. Shingen recognizes that Usagi is Ronin and asks what his connection to the Gaishu clan is. And Usagi tells him, well, not too long back he was... Uh, a bodyguard to Lord Hikiji and still owes him a debt of loyalty and so is is trying to recover the sword. Shingen then turns to throwing stars to attempt to dispatch Usagi, which Usagi parries and then taking the offensive jumps up onto a limb on which Shingen has gone to for higher ground, cuts the limb causing Shingen to collapse to the ground, realizing that he uh, might not be able to defeat the samurai, but in fighting the samurai, all it's doing is holding him up. Shingen decides to cut things short, grabs the sword out of the bundle, and uh, disappears in a cloud of smoke. So now he has lost Usagi. He's on his way. And we see Shingen running, running, running. Says he's going to travel a path that's, impo- a path that's impossible to follow. Finally, uh, when when he just can't go any further immediately, he stops to catch his breath to rest because he he still does have this uh, injured leg, I believe, just for record keeping, that the stab of the spear went through his shin. Let me look it up here while we're on the subject. It goes through his, no, it went through his thigh very close to the hip. Um, so he's still, you know, running around with that injury. And he stops and is going to finally check on the blade to make sure that it hasn't uh, suffered any damage, to make sure it's it's safe, because that is his main charge, is to deliver the sword. Well, he unwraps it and finds that what he unwraps is a stick of wood uh, that's been wrapped in the silk cloth and not the sword itself, and then, you know, ponders briefly, as we would reading it, where the sword is. Well, we cut further into the story to the next day at the actual Gaishu castle. We see the woodcutting couple delivering firewood to the kitchens there of the castle. 
guard directs them on back, and they move on back, and they're unloading the wood bundles, at which point the woodcutter wife notices that there's a sword sticking out of this particular bundle that the husband is moving around. And they grab it up and decide that uh, they need to turn it in, and they're kind of worried that, well, in turning it in, will we expose ourselves as the thief? We didn't steal it. Uh, and as they're discussing this and deciding what to do, lo and behold, Tomo is walking around, probably making rounds, uh, particularly with what has gone on, to uh, assure herself personally of Lord Noriyuki's safety. She is making the rounds herself. I would surmise that in this era, she would delegate that to someone else, lower in the, in the rankings. But she's doing this firsthand, wanders across, or not wanders across, but comes across the woodcutting couple who just completely fall to their knees and start begging and pleading for her understanding that they just found this sword. And she takes the sword and realizes it's a Muramasa blade. The woodcutters continue telling their story that they just found it, and the wife interjects, I bet it was that long-eared Ronin. I didn't trust him. And Tomo realizes long-eared Ronin must mean Usagi, because Usagi was in the area. And the woodcutter wife further mentions that, yes, he was a companion to that unfriendly woodcutter that didn't even know his trade. And so Tomo further surmises that the bad, in quotes, woodcutter must have been the thief. Usagi collected the sword from him and made it possible for the woodcutting couple to return the sword to its rightful owners. The end panel, we see... Usagi standing, uh, looks like perhaps in a, in a short plane of grass with a full moon in the sky, saying that Nord, Lord Noriyuki should have the sword by now, or not saying he's thinking this, I'm sorry. And I now know who was behind the theft, Lord Hikiji. He's still weaving his webs of intrigue. I wonder when our paths will cross again. A nice third of a page panel, Usagi. His ears are bent back like the wind is blowing a little bit. Uh, his top portion of his um, outfit and the bottom skirt portion, again I apologize for not knowing the appropriate words, are, are blowing. Uh, to me odd is the fact that he's carrying his katana by the belt slung over his shoulder and he's holding holding the belt with the sword slung over his shoulder. Kind of an interesting way to carry it, I thought. Uh, he certainly is feeling at this point fairly safe because it would be very difficult to draw the sword from that particular attitude. So there's our there's our story. Uh, I hope I, I did a decent job going over it. Uh, again, the terms for the different aspects of Usagi's outfit, the sword scabbard, if someone listening uh, wants to take it upon themselves to educate me to what the actual term of those are, I'll, I'll incorporate it further if, if we come across those again. Not really any terms of merit that Mr. Sakai pointed out or I really wanted to point out. A couple things. The um, weapon that Shingen used, the Kama, those were new to my readings of, of Usagi. I have seen them before. Um, those of you that aren't familiar, they're kind of they're L-shaped. kind of. They remind me of a, 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 a sickle, although I have found that a sickle is a different weapon. But they're L-shaped um, weapons with... Uh, 
covers that slide over the blades themselves that can be taken off. Uh, but Shingens didn't even have to do that. They were spring-loaded, I guess, as part of being the ninja, being able to hide that he had these weapons on him was was important. Also, uh, Muromasa blade is, is a was a particular type of... Uh, was a, a possibility at this time. Not necessarily the Muromasa blade, as they indicated, I think, in the story, but rather a because uh, Muromasa was a weaponsmith, so he was known to have forged many swords. And for a period of time, the swords were much sought after because of their quality. Oddly enough, what happened is that during Muromasa's time, someone else took over the shogunate and said that a lot of his uh, people a lot of his family members and retainers and whatnot, in the assumption of of his being Shogun, died under Muromasa blades in the fighting. And because of that, that particular blade is outlawed everywhere. No one can have that kind of blade. Uh, Because of that, they kind of took on a legend of being evil or demon blades, and so there was a portion of society at that time that tried even harder to acquire these blades because it meant you were not for uh, the Tokugawa shogunate. You were against them. Merely by possessing this sword indicated that. Over time, Muramasa was discredited and you know nobody wanted his blade and he eventually kind of went out of business. But the, the blade in uh, literary history has kind of taken on uh, more evil demonic um, uh, history, as it were, because that is how it was portrayed and that's how it's been passed down due to the fact that it was discredited by a shogun. And so a lot of popular literature, particularly of the time but since then, has reflected the quote-unquote evilness of having a Muramasa blade. Oddly enough, I didn't pick up anything particularly evil in the Usagi story, merely that it was an honor to have the blade. Uh, let's see, do have a bit of feedback here to pass on. This is from Steve, and he wrote in reference to the um, previous episode, episode 23, in which I discussed the teacup from volume 1, issue 11, Steve indicates that this was the first issue of Usagi Yojimbo which I ever read and is still one of my favorites. I did not buy it at the time for the Usagi story, but rather because Sergio Aragonis did a Katnippon backup story in it. So apparently Steve is a big Sergio fan. Anyways, this particular issue was set up as a tribute to Gru, featuring the cameo appearance of Gru uh, in, in the village there, the poem at the beginning and the moral at the end, uh, which are typical of the way uh, Sergio does write Gru. I've, I've read Gru in the past as well, so yeah, I, I recall that he does that. Um, various running gags like the boat sinking and comments like, Jen does what Jen does best. What do you mean slow of mind? Did I err? I should slay you. What's mulch? Things like that, which are used by Sergio in Gru to show that Gru is a barbarian and perhaps not the brightest bulb in the pack. Uh, On the last page of the story, Stan even draws Sergio, Mark, Tom, and himself, 
Stan, lurking in ambush along the path leading out of town. Uh, Stan does the lettering. Sergio does the writing. Uh, does the drawing. Is the artist. Mark, I believe, is the author, and Tom perhaps would be the inker. Uh, and and they were there were there were anthropomorphic characters on one side of the path, but there were these four more human-looking characters on the other side of the path. Um, oh, here it is. Of course, Tom Luth, the colorist for Gru, so that's Tom, also does the colors for the cover of Usagi Ojimbo as well. Mark Evanier, the fourth horseman of the Gru Apocalypse, was not represented in this issue. Oh, I thought the Mark he was referring to was Mark. Oh, maybe he didn't do anything in the issue. There was no... Although Mark, he said, I thought that m- that Mark would have been Mark Evanier, the uh, the writer. So, okay. Anyways, there's uh, there's some feedback about the story from Steve. That's his first story, so that was his uh, where where probably he or his first issue that he ever read of Usagi. Um, off the top of my head, I'm not. I don't remember exactly what the first issue was, but it was. It's it's far more recent than issue eleven. That would have been, what, 1986, 87? That would have been 1987. So if he purchased this at the time and read that, that would have been many, many years ago. And my exposure to Ronan Rabbit, I was reading comic books at this time and knew he was out there, but I was nowhere at that time interested. My exposure is far more recent than this, uh, 1987, I mean. So, okay, um, there we go with, with our feedback for this episode. Um, definitely want to thank Steve and Derek for hosting the uh, episodes on his web spaces. If you do want to get in touch, leave any feedback for me about this episode or any past episodes, you can send me an email at Usagi... Uh, wait a minute, before I get that far, let me say that uh, next episode we'll be talking about the Dragon Bellow Conspiracy Part 1. And if I recall, that's a seven or eight part story. And interestingly enough, that story will finish out for me the first hardback volume of the special edition that I bought from uh, Fantagraphics that I have been using as my source material here. So I'll finally be able to open up the second volume, which honestly I don't think I have opened since I got this um, set a couple years back. So that'll be kind of cool to finally get into that. But we've got seven or eight uh, parts of this Dragon Bellow conspiracy to get through before we get there. But just me kind of sitting here going on. Sorry about that. Okay, now if you do want to leave some feedback, uh, you can do so at uh, usagipodcast at gmail.com. You can leave a comment like Steve did and does uh, fairly often at thereaderfeed.com. That's where the episodes of Usagi are posted. Excuse me, not Usagi, Ronin Rabbit. The want to thank the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo on Facebook. Uh, I, I think Steve administers that for allowing me to post notice of Ronin Rabbit episodes on there uh, as far as notifying all on Facebook, uh, as well as my page, that the show has gone up. And the Ronin Rabbit is also on G+, if you want to follow or leave feedback, feedback there. Also, if you feel so inclined, take a moment and leave some feedback uh, as an iTunes review. It'll help folks 
find the show that are interested in finding an Usagi podcast. Not that perhaps I'm the best example of podcasting out there, but I'm still fairly certain I'm the only Usagi Ojimbo podcast out there. haven't really seen anybody else exclusively covering that. Um, other comic book podcasts will come and go, you know, as they talk about a particular issue in with their general comic book coverage, but I believe mine is the only Usagi-centric podcast, at least that I've been able to find. If anybody else knows of any others out there, please let me know. I uh, would be interested in listening, but I also maintain the Comic Book Podcast Wiki, which is a listing of all comic book-related podcasts, and I would be interested in adding that to our uh, collection of uh, podcast listings on there. So thanks again for following, and uh, hopefully you guys are entertained enough to be around for next episode. Talk to you later. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal Production and as such, is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives, 3.0, Unported License.